to go to London. Denied the chance to live her dream, she took the next dream that came along. And with that came me. I would stare at a picture of her, on point, probably aged about 14. It seemed impossible that this was my mother, a pixie-like starlet full of naive joy. The picture on the mantelpiece represented all that could have been. Now, the dancing had gone out of her, and now it was all about duty and the odd gin and tonic. My parents were so young, it's impossible for me to say what I would have done had the roles been reversed. Life was about education and getting ahead, beyond working class but working multiple jobs. The only sin was not trying hard. My father was very serious about most things, and he tried very hard. One of a family of six, he was the offspring of a farm girl sold into service, aged 12, and a raffish local builder and motorcycle-riding captain of the football team in Great Yarmouth. The great love of my father's life was machinery and the world of mechanisms, timing, design and draftsmanship. He loved cars and loved to drive, although the laws relating to speed he deemed inapplicable to himself, along with seatbelts and driving drunk. After losing his driver's licence, he volunteered for the army. Volunteers got paid better than conscripted men, and the army didn't seem picky about who drove their jeeps. A driving licence, at military, instantly restored, his engineering talents and tidy hand led to a job drawing up the plans for the end of the world. Around a table in Dusseldorf, he would carefully draw the circles of megadeths expected in the anticipated Cold War apocalypse. The rest of his time was spent drinking whisky to drown the boredom and the hopelessness of it all, one imagines. While still enlisted, this beefy Norfolk swimming champion, butterfly no less, swept my waif-like ballerina mum off her feet. As the unwanted offspring of the man who stole her only daughter, I represented the spawn of Satan for my grandmother Lily, but for my grandfather, Austin, I was the closest he would ever have to a son of his own. For the first five years of my life, they were de facto in loco parentis. As early childhood goes, it was pretty decent. There were long walks in the woods, rabbit holes, haunting flatland winter sunsets and sparkling frost shimmering under purple skies. My real parents had been travelling and working in a succession of nightclubs with their performing dog act, as in poodles, hoops and leotards. Go figure. The number 52 on the house at Manton Crescent was painted white. It was a standard brick-built, semi-detached council house. Manton Colliery was a deep coal mine, and it was where my grandfather worked. My grandfather had been a miner since the age of 13. Too small to be legal, he cunningly and barefacedly lied about his age and his height, which, like mine, was not very much. To get round the regulations that said you were tall enough to go down the pit if your lantern did not trail on the ground by its lanyard while suspended from the belt, he simply put a couple of knots in it. He came close to going to war, but got as far as the garden gate. He was in the Territorial Army, a part-time volunteer, but as coal mining was a reserved occupation, he didn't have to fight. So he stood in his uniform, ready, as his platoon marched off to fight in France. It was one of these back-to-the-future moments, when opening that garden gate and going to war along with his mates would have prevented a lot of things happening, including me. My grandmother stood defiant, hands on hips, in the front doorway. If you bloody go, I won't be here when you get back, she said. He stayed. Most of his regiment never came back. 
With a miner for a grandfather, we got the council home and free coal delivered, and the art of making the coal fire that heated the house has turned me into a lifelong pyromaniac. We did not possess a telephone, a refrigerator, central heating, a car, or an inside toilet. We borrowed other people's fridges and had a small larder, dank and cold, which I avoided like the plague. Cooking was two electric hobs in a coal-fired oven, although electricity was seen as a luxury to be avoided at all costs. We had a vacuum cleaner, and my favourite device, a mangle. Two rollers that squeezed the water from washed clothing. A giant handle turned the machine over as sheets, shirts and trousers flopped out into a bucket after being squeezed through its rollers. There was a plastic portable bath for me, as my grandfather would arrive home clean from the pit washrooms. On occasions, he would come back from the pub, stinking of beer and onions, and crawl into bed next to me, snoring loudly. In the light from